A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Parenthood. The teenage years are often the age that parents most dread, a time when their beloved and loving child turns into a tyrant, no longer wanting to spend time with or often respecting their parents. It's a time of slammed doors and messy bedrooms, piled high with stinky socks and heightened emotions. But what is actually going on with children to make them behave this way? Is it really that bad or are we misunderstanding them? And is there anything we can do to make this period easier? With me today, I have two experts. Dr. Ang Harrod Rudkin is a child clinical psychologist who's recently written a book, What's My Teenager Thinking, together with Tanith Carey, a journalist, author, and child behavior guru. Welcome, both of you. It's really, really great to chat to you again. And congratulations on the publication of the book, What's My Teenager Thinking? It's a brilliant topic. And just actually leafing through it, I realise that I'm sort of slightly dreading the teenage years. But I'm hoping you might dispel that some of those myths that maybe if they're handled correctly, the teenage years aren't as painful as their reputation. But in, in your view, Ang Harrod, are they, do they deserve the reputation that they have, the teenage years? I think they are different to the pre-teenage years and I think that difference is challenging for some. I think what happens is your children who could have been relatively compliant and polite and fun to be with can seem to change overnight into a child who will do the opposite of what you say and might not even listen to you at all and just want to be out of the house and with their friends and I think that can be very difficult as a parent to adjust to. So it is different, it's a very different stage of parenting, but I hope Tanith and I will be able to convince you that actually there are some really, really lovely bits to it. You will laugh more than you've ever laughed with your children and they'll, you will learn so much from them as well. So I think if you can manage that transition into teenage years and the slightly annoying bits, then actually you can get a lot out of them as well. And do you think, Tanith, this would be interesting to hear from you, because obviously you're all a mother of, of teenagers. One of the things I'm dreading the most is the idea that they're not going to like me anymore, because at the moment I've got that sort of love of my children. They, they just want to be with me and their father, and they think we're really cool, to the kind of sometimes quite oppressively so. And I'm just aware that when they become teenagers, they suddenly don't love you as much. Is that true, or is it they just express their affection in a different way? Yeah, they do love you and they need you more than ever, but it's so important to this process of separation that they start to individualise themselves away from you. And part of that is basically removing themselves from this safe space that they've grown up with. 
And, you know, and it can be a very painful shock for parents. I mean, you know, your 13 year old is telling you, I hate you or get out of my room or your, you know, unmentionable words that they're picking up and using generally with their friends, which they now use against their parents. It's a very painful time. But I mean, I think that's why we really need to put this in context and also just see this as part of the necessarily development of themselves turning from children into adults. And this is like, you know, in the same way that your baby learned to crawl, your baby learned to walk, you know, we, these changes that teenagers are going through, they're not as visible, they're not as cute, but in their own way, they are doing exactly the same thing in their process towards adulthood. And in terms of the, of the teenage years, why, why is it so difficult to parent a teenager? What is it about that? The changes that are going on with them, I guess, in their brain, hormonally, what is it that makes it so challenging? Because I also think it would be good to sort of understand what is normal about the teenage years. I'm sure there are a lot of parents out there, or I've spoken to many parents, who've, who've said, I know my children, my child seems abnormally bad. Can this be normal? But presumably a certain amount of kickback is normal and healthy. Yeah, it's normal and healthy. I think if your child wasn't doing that, you should be worried. I mean, when your teenager says to you, you're so embarrassing, that's because they're having to leave the tribe of your family and trying to find a new family among their peers. So that in, a, in itself is a painful process for a parent, but it is them trying to find a new group to belong to. Yes, and there are massive, um, you know, we talk about hormonal changes in adolescence, which is, you know, quite well documented. But what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years is that there's been a load of research on brain changes in adolescence as well. So that actually the kinds of, well, the rate of change in a teenager's brain is the equivalent of change in a toddler's brain. So when we, as Tanith was saying, when you watch your baby grow and start to walk and talk and do things themselves, that rate of growth is, is similar to the rate of growth in adolescence, but we don't see it as much physically. And actually what it makes teenagers do is they become incredibly risk-taking because the bit of their brain that's all about judging, you know, is this a good idea or not, kind of goes offline. They become incredibly sort of emotionally driven. So a lot of their judgments and decisions are based on feelings rather than logic. They have quite a different perspective on time. So, you know, you saying, just you wait, if you don't do your work now, in five years time, you won't be able to get to uni. And to a 13 year old, they're thinking, what does that matter? You know, because they haven't got that perspective of time. And they also move into sort of a very different way of thinking. So very sort of catastrophic thinking, quite all or nothing thinking. You know, someone's either absolutely amazing or the worst person in the world. There's very little grey area for them. So all of these changes in their brains make them quite difficult to um, understand at times um, and to manage. Um, and even things like, you know, they've done these great research projects where they show photos of different facial expressions to teenagers when they're in a scan. And teenagers will use different parts of their brains to decode what expression is on a face. And so many times when they're looking at a face, they will see annoyance and actually it wasn't annoyance, it was embarrassment, it was sadness, it was worry. And um, I was talking to a parent of a teenager the other day, and she said, she just, you know, she just thinks I'm at her all the time. And I said, well, that's her brain saying, oh my goodness, keep an eye out for that anger and that annoyance at you. So even as a parent, even if you're just thinking you're being very kind and casual and you're questioning about, well, should you be going out with them again tonight? Or, you know, do you really think you should be playing that game rather than doing your homework? To them, it's like you're shouting at them and saying, how dare you do this rather than that? 
So their reactions can be very, very difficult to understand when as an adult because you're thinking well I didn't even provoke that I've had that all through lockdown so for example Cleo could easily come in here and I would be concentrating and I would say hi but because I wouldn't be smiling and getting up and saying oh how are you darling she'd be like why are you in a bad mood I'm like she's completely just not and also they're teenagers incredibly self-centered so obviously they have a very if they find it very hard to understand that other people have emotions except for themselves and because they put themselves at the center of the universe their empathy sort of tends and their sympathy tends to all be all directed at themselves and none at you so you are expected to be an almost superhuman patient perfect person and if you're not you you quickly hear about it Absolutely, absolutely. And what you were saying about, you know, your pet, your your children loving you right now, the sort of the age of disillusionment starts around 11-ish, 10, 11-ish, where children start to realise, actually, maybe my parents don't know everything, maybe they're not right about everything. And that's the beginning of this process of beginning to understand your parents are fallible humans, they don't know everything, they haven't got it all right, and that actually you need to question and really analyse everything they're doing so that you can make that break as Tanith was saying it's you know adolescence is that journey from being entirely dependent on your parents to pretty much independent of your parents and it doesn't happen in overnight in a smooth way it happens in this bumpy 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 road of adolescence of questioning and wondering why and getting cross with and so as parents it's you you might not get those cuddles and the little notes saying you're the best mummy ever but you've just got to keep your eye out just for the little connections the eyes or the you know they might just nudge into you when you're going for a walk or you know something that's their way of saying you're still really important to me mum because presumably it's also a really emotional time for parents as well as as children and that those emotions are then complicating the matter if you're a sort of caregiver and some child like say you're a teacher and and a child's being really beastly to you it's very easy to it's much easier presumably to think this is all part of the hormonal development it's not meant personally I'm leaving work I'm going to go home and I'm not going to take it to heart but as a parent you've obviously invested so much time and love and energy into your child and it's a bit like the kind of ultimate rejection you've you sort of fallen in love with this child and you know that your child is going to leave you it's almost it's almost like you've like I feel like in a way I've developed this cult of my children that I can do anything they'll still think I'm the greatest person in the world and want to spend time with me and it's like Ludo age 10 is just starting to break free of that cult <laughs> and I can imagine that you know I already get it now what you were saying about that sort of that I find that very often I'll ask him to do something and he's so indignant oh okay mummy I'm like you don't need to talk to me like that I just said could you make your bed but it just as a parent is is presumably harder to deal with because you're so emotionally invested in your children yeah and I often think that when you're teenagers when your child becomes a teenager you think it is the summation of all the work you've come into it you put into it so if that teenager and you've worked and worked and you try to make them decent human beings and then if that teenager turns around to you as rude or doesn't do schoolwork or anything you take it as a kind of and also it's very visible because other other parents know how your kid is doing they know where you know they stand and you know it just feels like a real this is when it all comes to fruition do you sort of mean and also I think the other thing about this is that we often our children often hit the teenage years when we're starting to hit sort of early menopause and menopause so we may not be feeling all that confident and all that great about ourselves so to hear you know our teenagers sort of you know they can be very cruel teenagers say really personal things you know it can sometimes and not you know and if you show any weakness also they get become very indignant as well so you really have to be sort of feel like you have to hold yourself together the whole time and be strong and give emotionally and 
you know it can be very tiring so yeah it's i think we do need to um to, to to actually acknowledge how hard it is we talk a lot about how hard it is to be a teenager but we don't often i'm not i'm not saying it's a you know that we should like demonize it but we also need to give us ourselves a break and an acknowledgement for the work we need to put into it and the emotional kind of heavy lifting that in, that it involves to kind of get these teenagers through this period well, I think, you know, like so many things, preparing for what you know is going to be a difficult period by a bit more self-care as a mother and the acknowledgement that parenting is going to go through a slightly more difficult or changing stage. And so much I think about life as adjustment to sort of, the, I mean, to becoming a mother, there's a huge adjustment process. But then as your child changes and their needs and their dependence on you changes, that, that adjustment is, is big flexible parenting look out for those signs you know try and roll with the punches you know be ready for the emotional whiplash you know yeah and I'm just I'm just thinking about you know when you do make that first initial adjustment to being a mum you know you've got masses of support you're going to all the classes you've got pregnant friends you're all going through it together and then as you move into adolescence you know there's less of that support network there and that's something that's so important especially as Ty said you know you're probably heading into not feeling particularly great physically yourself you know you're over your peak perhaps research has shown that marital satisfaction is at its lowest when you've got teenage children so there's a lot that you're trying to battle with so it's very important to just use all the support of family friends that you've got around to to talk about it and and also something that Tanith and I talk about a lot at the beginning of the book is about your own adolescence because what your experience of being a teenager was will influence how you parent and what you expect and how you understand your teenager and of course you've got your co-parent as well so you have to talk an awful lot about what do we what was our adolescence like what did we enjoy about it what would we wish would have been different how what if we what we what hopes do we have for our teenagers so really important to touch base again around that as you would have done when you were having your baby first off I think that's a really good point from Anna Harrod actually because in my research I found that the differences between parents on things like values really surface in a big way during the teenage years and because it seems feels so urgent it feels like it that what what your teenager uh, does now is going to influence their life chances you get real differences of opinion between mothers and fathers about how to deal with the, the sort of normal teenage teenage rebellion particularly when you've got maybe an author more authoritarian father and a, and a mother who's trying to be more, a bit more touchy-feely and then if it goes wrong then one parent might blame the other and you really have to stay on the same page because if you don't have a united front your teenager will also lose respect for you both and you will have lost you know any kind of not any but you know you you are, you are diminishing your ability to help them through that if they don't sort of trust and, and respect your views There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
I, I imagine that there are a lot of people listening to this whose children haven't become teenagers yet, but also that, you know, whether or not they start displaying these behavioural traits at 13 or maybe 12 or even 10 is, is quite sort of fluid. Is there anything as your child approaches those teenage years that as a parent you can do to prepare for the challenges that, that lie ahead, both in terms of yours as a, as a, you know, as a relationship, a parent-child relationship, but also from their point of view. Do you, should you talk to them about you know, what it's like to, I mean, obviously we talk to our children about puberty and those sort of changes, but do we talk to them about the sort of emotional challenges that lie ahead and the fact that our relationship might not always be so great, or is it better just to tackle those issues when they, when they arrive? I don't know about you, Tanith, but my sense is wait until they arrive, really, because what we don't know is how each one of our children are going to experience adolescence. You know, there is definite similarities across adolescence, but each one is unique and boys versus girls and, you know, shy kids versus, you know, out there kids. So in a way, I wouldn't try... By preempting it, you might be creating more of an issue in a way because you know the adolescent years is you can't prepare for it as a as you would for a marathon or you know because you will set yourself up to feel even more of a failure as a parent if you think but I did all the talking and yet they're still shouting at me. So what I would do is just think more about values and characteristics. So you know what kind of relationship do I want with my child now? when they're 15 and when they're 20 and just keep working towards that and if that's about having you know communication good communications often a key spending time together doing things that you both enjoy and just just finding moments of connection I think that is is setting the foundations in a better way than having talks which might then make somebody feel like well I've had that talk therefore it's going to be all right and then feel very sad when it's not actually but also presumably it's a really scary thing to be told like you will hate me one day to by the person that you love the most and depend on the most so in a way I suppose it's it's quite doom laden thing to do you feel the same way Tanith I think the one thing you could help to do to prepare your child for the teenagers is just make them very emotionally literate so to talk about their feelings to feel, to make it clear that no feeling is not allowed, that they can talk freely without criticism or judgment. And just to, so, and also, I think you could probably in the earlier childhood sort of prepare them with skills for kind of conflict resolution and expressing anger, because I think that will come in very useful. Yeah, that uh, basically, yeah, you know, like, you know, you can express your anger, but you don't have to do it with, with aggression. And I'm ready to listen when you're ready to talk. And that, that kind of stuff is probably could put, lay some really good groundwork, I think, for the teenagers. And linked to that is your attitude to their friends as well, because friends become incredibly important to teenagers. And as Tan said, it's part of that process of sort of handing them over to the outer world is via their tribe, their peer group. And so your attitude towards friends is something that you can certainly work on before the teenage years. So, you know, do you just have an open house where anyone can come at any time? Are you quite boundaried? Are you quite controlling about their friendships and who they spend time with? So beginning to think about, well, what kinds of things in terms of good habits can I start instilling now in terms of independence, being with friends, having friends over, going out and coming back at certain times. So you can certainly work towards things like that. And is there a right and a wrong when it comes to that? I mean, I'm presuming that sort of being quite accepting of their friends is probably a good thing. I mean, my parents, when I look back at my teenage years, my parents very much had sort of open house. I mean, 
we really abused it. But I definitely felt it improved our relationship because our house was always the place where there was like most fun to be had. And I think my parents just thought, you're going to get up to stuff regardless. And I'd rather it happens in the safety of our space rather than in someone else's space or in a public space. Is that generally considered the wisest thing to do? I mean, I guess that everyone has different situations, but broadly speaking, is that kind of acceptance considered quite a, a, a good thing to do? Yes, I was just going to say, yes, I think so. But of course, what that involves is you being the kind of parent that can tolerate chaos, noise, rude conversations, food disappearing out the fridge. And having the space. Having the and space. And the money and all of the... Everything being taken, you know, you might be taken for granted a little bit by friends. So it's how important it is for you. And therefore, kind of does that balance up? And and I would say there's a happy medium somewhere. You know, if, if you're just not laid back enough to be able to have... 13 children in your house in one go and them eat everything in the cupboards then maybe think about how can I how can I work what is my limit here and say to your child you know I'm really happy for you and your friends to come over after school but how about we limit it to about three or four at a time and just send me a quick text when you're on the way home and at least I can make sure I've got something in to eat so you can put boundaries around it in a way that isn't saying to your children you're not allowed any of your friends here but isn't also saying open house which must have been lovely I I, you know my family was far more oh who's this (laughs) and having to sort of justify who it is and and everything so I think as I say the happy medium is probably the best I think that a lot of parents tend to think they have to police their children's friends but that doesn't really work because that obviously makes them more attractive so I think what you have to do in terms of preparing teenagers is also quite early on in uh, even in primary school help them work out the difference between a good and a bad friend so they can work out who's good for them and who isn't bad for them because a lot of parents will panic about bad influences, but it's like if you tell a child not to see a friend, they, they will ignore you. But they need to work out whether this person is good for them. Does they, Do they make them feel good? Do they put them down? Do they make them may, make unwise decisions? So I think that's a little bit of preparation that you can also do on the social front before they hit the teenage years. And presumably make the effort to get to know their friends. And I guess if you do then let people into their house, then you can kind of actually take pleasure in getting to know I have you know I have some friends parents who just really enjoyed hanging out with the younger generation and I remember it being very obvious at the time that they genuinely enjoyed our company and that was so attractive as a teenager because I I remember thinking I'm really boring like I've done nothing interesting in my life apart from go to school I'm so predictable and you know when someone actually took an interest in me that was a real confidence booster and I think that that picks up on the idea of other people outside of the family being incredibly important to teenagers, not just their peers, but aunties, uncles, you know, friends, parents, neighbours, dance teachers, you know, whatever. These adults are incredibly important, and especially for male teenagers, in sort of helping them to understand themselves, feel good about themselves, develop different ways of coping. So as they're sort of turning away from their parents, actually having another host of adults that they can turn to is 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 brilliant for them Mm. and presumably too you know some children are going to find certain conversations to you know really difficult to have with their parent but it might be that there's another sensible adult a godparent or a friend of a pair of a friend or someone that it's just easier to have that slightly awkward conversation with Absolutely, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, the aunts, aunts are great, godparents are great. Just let them have some alone time because sometimes children just need to vent away from you in a safe space. And it doesn't have to be a therapist, it can be an understanding, non judgmental family member. 
that as long as they know it's not going to get reported straight back, I think. They're doing that venting not because they don't like you as a parent or they think that you've done something wrong as a parent, but because they don't want to worry you. You know, they could be very protective of you as teenagers, even if their behaviour <laughs> suggests otherwise. So if they don't want to talk to you and instead you find that they've spoken to someone else, try not to take it as an indication that you're not a good parent. It's more just that they're trying to vent but without upsetting you. I mean, I think what's got to be difficult and what I'm slightly dreading is that everyone has to mess up probably on quite a big scale as a teenager. We all did it. We all made those bad decisions. And I sort of cringe when I think of them, and I I really don't want my children to have to experience that, but they will. How do you as a parent, what's the best way to deal with these? You know, the, the inevitable comes home, vomits everywhere because they've drunk too much, or, I mean pregnancies or like as it was interesting I was talking to someone about online safety and one of the things he said is that all your children are going to see stuff that they shouldn't be looking at online and it might not well not be your fault but if you walk into a room and you see them looking at something that's inappropriate walk out of the room take five deep breaths and then go in and have a calm conversation because if you follow your instincts and shout what on earth are you doing how could you be looking the pet the child who might you know not have sought that website out will then feel that i'm going to get you know reprimanded every single time i i make a mistake and it's much better to go listen you know i I, i'm not blaming you for this happening but let's talk about how you got there and then you're creating this permissiveness for messing up presumably it's the same with with teenagers that if they do come back and you know have the crazy party that got up out of hand you shouldn't you know really punish them but you should initiate a conversation rather about why that might not have been the best decision yeah no I, I agree I think that we tend to think teenagers don't know as much as they do I mean if they've been brought up in a family with good values and sensible role modeling they work out pretty quickly what works for them and what doesn't And I think rather than sort of say what you think they should have done, they probably know where it went wrong and to encourage that kind of self-questioning because, you know, if it was easy for us just to say to our teenagers, don't do that, don't do this, we wouldn't have the huge number of parenting books that we do. You know what I mean? It's just not that easy. You know, you can't just say, don't do that, don't do that because it doesn't work, okay? So basically teenagers, you have to encourage them to kind of work out their own answers from within and actually I find they're pretty good at doing that. Yes, and I think that advice to take five deep breath I think that is so important across the teenage years because we can we can be wounded and retaliate and react very quickly and they're the times that we we all know already as parents they're the times that when you get to the end of the day you're lying in bed thinking oh my god I handled that so badly and that's that kind of reaction is going to be triggered an awful lot more in the teenage years so it's about taking those big breaths and it's about not taking it personally and that's why it's easier as a teacher or somebody to to be able to react in a a more positive way to teenagers because you're not taking it personally so as a parent of a teenager take those big breaths remember it's not a reflection of you it's not something that they're doing to hurt you but then you're able in it you're in a bit more of a better position to then open up a conversation about it because that's all you can do you know your teenagers are gonna make mistakes they're gonna have scrapes and they're gonna do things that just make your eyes water thinking about that if you were there to catch them you know emotionally physically sometimes then then that's the most you can hope for and the, the key to that is communication oh yeah and just following up on Garrett's point basically when you are in that very aroused state yourself and your teenagers in that very kind of emotionally aroused state that's when things are said and when you know when you, your teenager doesn't worry about what they say to you but believe me if you t- if you say something to your teenager 
about them as a person or like a generalization or a label that's the kind of thing that can actually they forget the context and just remember what you said and then it kind of almost kind of is seared on their soul so we really have to get ourselves back to a rational place at moments like this so we can respond in the most kind of logical and calm way possible because otherwise it could do sort of damage beyond that particular incident if you sort of mean and obviously teenagers you know as well as doing sort of stupid things and dangerous things they're also they also can be quite annoying i was talking to my mother actually just recently and she was like your messiness just drove me nuts and this is something that teenagers are quite famous for why are they so messy what what is it about teenagers that they just leave mess everywhere yeah, well, we cover this in the book, don't we, Anne Harrod? And it's one of the most popular questions we have. Well, I mean, they just don't see mess in quite the same way as we do. To them, it's almost like a security blanket having all their possessions all around them at one time. They don't have the kind of cause and effect that we do. They don't see it. I mean, when we go into their messy room, we th- or we could, we're very aroused because we think, well, this is all the stuff I bought them and why are they treating my house with so much disrespect? And there's the clothes I just bought them from Brandy Melville. They're dumped on a pile on the floor. So we see it as a real kind of affront to us and our homes and they just see it as a way of just cocooning themselves in a place where they feel safe and they feel they know where everything is. So we're, we're looking at it from two to different different points uh, points of view, really. Yes, and if you have got a teenager with an incredibly tidy room, then that is actually more worrying <laughs> because there's a chance that they're feeling so anxious and unsure about things that the way that they're managing their emotions is by putting everything in order which you know is fine to a degree but if that becomes a slightly sort of obsessional thing then it's 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 less healthy so you've got a healthy teenager if you've got a messy teenager okay that's very reassuring (laughs) the other thing that I really love reading about in your book is the you know the preparation for crushes and you, you know obviously the crush comes before the sort of actual relationship and you were saying that children actually start developing crushes quite early on don't they Mm. Yes, they do. They do. And often it will be crushes on teachers initially. and Unattainable people, essentially. Like pop stars and stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I say it doesn't, you know, it could be of any gender. There's just something that can just capture you about someone. And, you know, teenagers are inherently incredibly romantic. You know, they're absolute fantasists. They're dreamers. They're so emotional. And it's far easier to plow all of that into someone who a you're probably never going to meet or actually you pass them in the corridor at school every day but there's no way they're ever going to notice you're there so actually it's a bit easier to plow all of that emotion into those kinds of people rather than the boy that you sit next to in physics and you think is quite nice so those crushes are a really important part of development and um, a really important part of you figuring out what you like what kind of person you are who you want to be And we should not demean them as parents. You know, it's so easy to sort of tease and mock, ooh, there's your crush. But actually, it's a really important and very serious part of development for a teenager. So we've just got to stay in touch with our own crushes from when we were younger and remember how important they were to us to help us know how to respond to, to theirs. Yeah, you're right. Laugh about ourselves. I remember I was talking to this great friend of mine the other day and we were both obsessed with Take That. And every morning we'd wake up in our boarding school in Berkshire going, are we going to meet Mark from Take That today? (laughs) And really believing it might be a possibility, genuinely holding on to that. I remember writing Don Taylor a letter. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it seems ridiculous now, but as Anne Harrod said, it's a really important part of that gradual development. And what we do in the book is we don't just lump all teenagers in together because they're evolving at an incredible rate. We look at 
early, mid and late adolescence. And part of that is the development of those romantic relationships. And, you know, if you did have a crush and those feelings were returned from the object of your desire, you wouldn't know how to deal with it, you know, at sort of 12 or 13. You know, it's, you know, it's a very gradual process where teens become, they move into bigger sort of mixed uh, gender friendship groups, then they become friends, they tell you their friends are actually dating them, and then there's that kind of coming out to the parents. It's a very slow and gradual curve that they go through. And, and, you know, and we have to take it seriously because the research shows that actually breakups are really quite a considerable risk to the mental health of um, some teenagers, and they can become quite seriously very, very distressed about it. So we really do have to sort of, as you say, mind back into our own experiences and not diminish them and just because we're not married to the person that we knew at school doesn't mean that those those feelings and aren't really really important to them at that time yeah absolutely it's like an education isn't it an education in emotions and love and that journey if we'd all met our forever man at age 12 that would be a disaster <laughs> one final question how should we read our children's diaries <laughs> I think Sorry, that's a really big question. <laughs> As a gasp, an intake of breath there. Um, I would say absolutely not. I think that's what I would. Because actually teenagers need to trust us and they need to know that the, they can be in charge of their information. And even though as parents, you're always going to know so much more because, you know, you've been there, done that, and you can see things and you can you know figure out two and two equals four but they need to think that they're in control of their lives and their feelings and their emotions and so if you're reading they they will know if you've read their diary and what if you read their diary and you find out something that is so awful you know that you know i've just lost my virginity and you're like no what are you going to do with that information what how are you going to manage it and handle it so I would say resist the temptation. If your teenager wants you to know something about them, they will make it very clear. They will leave a scrap of paper around. They will um, oh, send you the wrong text. Sorry, Mum, I didn't mean to send that to you. They will, they, will, they will do something that will let you know. If they're really, really struggling, they will let you know one way or another. So leave their diaries. Don't read it. Go and have a cup of tea and read the paper instead. No, I think that if you do think that your teenager has some something to unburden or something's going on, then that is a time to be spending more time with them one on one and just basically creating space for those conversations. And maybe if your your relationship is ruptured or the communication is bro- broken down, it's much more useful to just try and really invest some time into trying and rebuilding that relationship than actually going doing a shortcut and then actually you know it's not going to tell you that you're I mean I guess totally right you know and also in diaries teenagers tend to vent and say things in a much more extreme way and when you're reading that in the cold light of day it can be very hard to keep to keep calm but then if you do let them know that you've read it they're going to really really be very very angry so and rightly so yeah Mm -hmm. you know I guess you know as parents you know we behave in the way that we want our children to behave and it would be unacceptable in any other walk of life to read someone's diary or text messages for that matter you know and um, I just imagine if your team read your diary I mean the things that you would say personally how angry you would feel do you know what I mean the intimacies and the personal thoughts and the things that shouldn't go nowhere and you know you just have to think of it on the other foot you know God, no, and I picked up a teenage diary of mine the other day and I actually wanted to vomit reading it because it was so cringy and so terrible so if someone else had picked it up I'd have been absolutely mortified <laughs> absolutely and I think there's that sort of mutual respect I think if you can try and keep hold of that during the teenage years as well you know if 
teenagers know when they're respected you know like you were saying Marina, Marina about going to your friend's house and chatting to the parent you know you felt listened to and heard and respected there and I think that is so important so you know not reading your your teenager's diary is another action showing that actually I respect you and I respect your privacy and I trust you well thank goodness I had this chat with both of you <laughs> No, but genuinely, thank you. It actually, I feel with a 10-year-old son, I feel like these years are not too far off. And actually a nine-year-old daughter, I feel that we're sort of creeping into them. So actually talking to you both today and also looking through the book has given me a really good insight in how to sort of deal with this in the right way, but also confidence too, because I do think so many of us dread uh, the teenage years, but actually it's simply another phase and a phase presumably that, you know, has its rewards as well as its difficulties. A bit like the baby stage where they're cuddly and smell wonderful you know you also have the sleepless nights and the reflux so it's it's always you know whatever six of one half a dozen of the other isn't it with with (laughs) children whatever stage they're at well thank you both I recommend highly what is your teenager thinking it's the follow-up to what is my child thinking which I absolutely adored and actually have given to so many of my friends who feel that the only one that's missing now is the in-between because what's my child thinking goes up to about eight and then you did this teenager start at 13 so is this the next book that's going to be coming out because I really think we need it I think it's in the pipeline I think there are discussions at hand I think good yes. well I what's I, my tween thinking and then we'll move to what's my husband thinking and great. then we'll move to what's my mother-in-law thinking <laughs> <laughs> what's the prime minister thinking <laughs> what's the prime minister thinking it's basically a brilliant formula so yeah we're on to a winner I think <laughs> thank you both so much for your time I really appreciate it and um, good luck with the book thank you <laughs> Thank you for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. If you have a moment, it would be really great if you could take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast wherever you download it from. The more reviews we have, the more platforms take notice of us and drive other listeners to The Parenthood, which is a good thing for us. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Ang Harrod, Tanith and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>